Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Buddy, and welcome back to the Bareback Facts. I am your host, Dallas Fig, the Duquo, and today we're talking about Elizabeth Bathory. Now, guys, you know how it is. I like to talk about everything, politics, religion, mythology, the lives of notorious or infamous people from history. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most controversial figures in history, just of all time. She has been the inspiration for many horror writers. She's been the inspiration for, for writers such as Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker. She is the infamous Blood Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Now, guys, if you're not familiar with Elizabeth Bathory, a young noblewoman who in the 16th century earned the reputation for many of her political opponents as the most violent, vicious killer of her time. She was accused of killing anywhere from up to 300 to 650 people, most of whom were said to have been young virgin women. Now, she has many legends associated with her, names along with them, the Blood Countess, uh, the Tigress of Chazette, uh, and the names go on and on, uh, referred to as the bloody as as the bloody lady, um, in many cases. Uh, but she is recorded as being one of the most prolific serial killers in history. But her life is full of controversy. Now, it's documented, according to the Guinness World Book of Records, and according to the case leveled against her that between the years of 1585 and 1610, she killed between 80 and 650 young women. Uh, Now she was born in 1560 uh, and was a renowned uh, countess from the renowned Bathory family of Erdős in the kingdom of Hungary. Uh, And she was the cousin, was the cousin of the Hungarian noble Stefan Bathory, king of the Polish Lithuanian common folk uh, Commonwealth and the Duke of Transylvania. So she was born on a family estate in Nirobratar, uh, Hungary, which I'm sure I butchered that, uh, and spent her childhood at Exit Castle. Now, um, so she grew up in relative wealth and, and relative uh, prosperity. Uh, she did face the challenges of, of learning what it meant to be a noble woman. Uh, being a noble woman was not all uh, pretty dresses and courtesies, there is a lot, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with uh, the responsibilities of a noble woman, uh, there's a lot to learn as far as managing finances, maintaining the household, uh, even commanding armies at times, uh, and overseeing in general uh, to oversee the commonwealth, the people. Uh, She would deal more with the common folk than her husband, the Count, would. Uh, noble women did much of the day-to-day business for nobles as they tend to be embroiled in personal rivalries, problems of their own with the other men. Uh, oftentimes, they're out trying to find uh, ways to accrue more wealth and get into trouble and um, sometimes even be lazy shits. Um, but the life of a noble woman was a very busy life. Uh, and Elizabeth was no different. Now, at the age of 15, Elizabeth would be married to Ferenc Nadazdi, the son of, of, of a baron, in what was likely a political arrangement within the circles of the aristocracy. It was uh, very common to marry people of better station than yourself or at least equal standing uh, so that you could advance. The entire uh, purpose of marriages for nobility was not out of love. It was for advancement. It was for wealth. Uh, and bettering one's economic and political standing. So her marriage, like many of the marriages during this time, would have been a political alliance. 
Now, Nadasdi's wedding gift to to Elizabeth was his home, uh, Suzette Castle. However, only three years after their marriage, uh, Nadasdi becomes the chief commander of the Hungarian troops and leads them to the to war against the Ottomans, who at this time had begun infringing uh, on the Balkan regions of the of Europe and had begun to encroach on Eastern Europe, expanding what is one of the largest empires in human history. Now, in 1604, uh, her husband, Ferenc, dies at the age of 48. Uh, now, this is reportedly due to some unknown illness or a battle wound. Uh, it's not necessarily known uh, as to whether or not he, you know, of, of what he necessarily died of. It was common uh, for men who had fought in battles to suffer complications uh, and illnesses from the many wounds that they were likely to acquire. Now, during the war and after uh, her husband's death, Elizabeth was left to run the Dazzy estate. And again, I mentioned this uh, at the outset when I talked about Elizabeth's background and her upbringing. Uh, this was expected. Uh, she was in charge of the management of its defense, uh, business affairs, and upkeep, which, of course, would be no easy task uh, for anyone. Uh, she's so here she is, you know, age 15, told, OK, you're in charge of this massive estate. You're going to manage the defense. You're going to manage our troops here at home. Uh, you're in charge of all the business affairs. You're going to make business deals on my behalf. You need to make sure that the crops get in on time. All this, you know, harvest has got to be done in a certain time. Everybody's got to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. You've got to up, upkeep the laws. You've got to maintain order. Uh, this is a lot of responsibility. Uh, for a 15-year-old girl. Uh, this is a lot of responsibility for anybody, but for a 15-year-old girl, it would have been an extremely uh, hefty load of responsibilities to handle, and this is what was expected of her. So <clears throat> these years uh, of war that Elizabeth was said to have supposedly gone on a brutal killing spree. Now, there are many legends surrounding Elizabeth's killing spree uh, which appeared in 1728, uh, the, first account, the first account of which appears in 1729, actually, I'm sorry, misspoke, more than a century after her death in a book called the Tragica Historia by a Jesuit scholar named Laszlo Turakzi. Now, according to uh, Laszlo here, Elizabeth would kidnap young peasant women from the nearby towns or lure them to her castle with the promise of well-paid work and would subsequently torture them to death through severe beatings, burnings, mutilations, biting, freezing, or starving. Uh, she was also said to have ordered slaves to gather their blood in buckets and fill a bath so that she could bathe in the blood of virgins to retain her youth. Now, since this first publication, rumors and stories spread throughout the country and abroad that Elizabeth was a vampire. She was ascribed with vampire-like tendencies and was said to have bitten her victims and drank their blood. Uh, going blood drunk at times. The stories of her serial murders and brutality are said to have been verified by the testimony of more than 300 witnesses and survivors, as well as physical evidence and the presence of horribly mutated, mutilated dead, dying, or imprisoned girls found at the time of her arrest. Now, while you might think at this point, oh my gosh, she killed all these people, and here's all these bodies, and all these witnesses are coming forward, let's not get too carried away yet. This, this plot only gets thicker from here. Now, there are many conflicting accounts regarding the number of women that Elizabeth is said to have murdered. But according to another popular story, one witness reported that Bathory had a book where she kept a list of over 650 victims. The location of this supposed diary of death is, however, unknown. She, so, again, no one has ever substantiated this claim. Now, before she died, Elizabeth, before his death, Elizabeth's husband, husband Ferenc, had entrusted his widow to Georgi Terzo, uh, the Palatine of Hungary. So this is another uh, nobleman, a man with a little bit of power, uh, who would eventually lead the investigation into Elizabeth's alleged crimes. Now, keep in mind, Ferenc had entrusted his widow to her before his death. Uh, this was for her safekeeping. This was to keep her safe. Ultimately, uh, when a man, when a nobleman would die, his wife and her property uh, could be seized by a stronger nobleman. Uh, a man could storm into her castle and try to force him to marry her. Uh, and clearly, Ferenc didn't want this to happen. Uh, so he entrusted Elizabeth to Georgi. 
And this is where our plot continues to thicken. So after rumors of Bathory's atrocities had spread through the kingdom, mostly by word of aristocrats uh, who were looking to increase their own standing, Terzo ordered two notaries to collect evidence in March of 1610, which supposedly included testimony from more than 300 witnesses, although records actually show only 13 witnesses. So supposedly they had over 300 witnesses, yet we can only find record of 13. Uh, In December of 1610, Terzo went to Suzette Castle and arrested Elizabeth, uh, but was then faced with a dilemma. A trial and execution would have caused a public scandal and disgraced a noble and influential family, and Elizabeth's considerable property would have to be seized by the crown. So Terzo successfully convinced the king, who at the time's name was King Matthias, that bringing Elizabeth to trial would negatively affect the nobility, and we wouldn't, oh, we wouldn't want that. Uh, so the trial was abandoned, and instead Elizabeth was imprisoned in Cachiste Castle, uh, where she was bricked up in a windowless room with only small slits open, uh, left open for ventilation and the passing of food. She would remain there for four years until her death in August. Uh, the day was the 24th. Now, again, uh, keep in mind at this point we're looking at what we're looking at is hearsay, right? She is at this point arrested uh, on the on the word of 13 witnesses, and and the claim is that there are 300 or more witnesses who have either survived or seen, you know, some horrendous things. Now, in the last two decades, uh, over the last just 20 years, 20 25 years, a number of historians have come forward. Uh, through research and and a lot of digging through old documents, a lot of dusty parchment, Uh, most notably one, uh, Laszlo Nagy, have come forward to defend the name of Elizabeth, claiming that the accusations made against her were part of a cunning plan by Terzo to imprison a bothersome political rival. Now, there's been a number of arguments that have been put forward by those proclaiming her innocence. Uh, Firstly, uh, if we look at the way that Terzo handles the handles the problem of Bathory and these, and these accusations. Uh, he takes steps to imprison Bathory, uh, to imprison Elizabeth as soon as he became the Palatine of Hungary. Uh, this leads many scholars to suggest that this move was pre-planned, that once he had uh, achieved this high status of Palatine of Hungary, which is like Lord Protector, essentially, uh, he, was, he, he began to think, oh, I've got to consolidate my power, and what better way to do this than by getting my hands on some more land uh, and a castle of my own have some more land, have some money. Uh, We'll get rid of a political opponent who's growing somewhat popular. Um, So uh, this uh, Terzo himself had been assisting King Matthias in his efforts to extend his control over powerful Hungarian noble families. Uh, And the Bathory family uh, was incredibly influential and powerful. They were actually quite popular amongst not only the nobility, but they were popular amongst the lower classes of people. Um, so there's been there is significant evidence that suggests that Terzo was actually after Elizabeth's significant wealth. Uh, he managed to weasel his way into the good graces of Ferenc before his death, uh, suggesting that uh, he had been planning this maneuver for quite some time in the hopes that once uh, Ferenc died, uh, he would in fact trust him enough to give him control over the land or at least give him some sort of influence over Elizabeth herself. Uh, second. Uh, Many scholars say that King Matthias and the imperial family owed substantial amounts of money to the countess and her family. Uh, And this is not a surprise. Uh, Nobles oftentimes uh, were a key in maintaining the crown and the kingdom Uh, during the Middle Ages. It was not uncommon for nobles to loan money to kings. Uh, who oftentimes, uh, because they had an, a standing army of other nobles or their own, uh, or access to, uh, you know, more powerful allies, would oftentimes welch on paying back their loans. Uh, so Matthias and the imperial family were known to have owed a lot of money to the countess, which they had trouble paying back due to the lack of cash flow in their coffers. Uh, and many suggest that this is one of the motivations uh, that lie be, lays behind. Uh, all the accusations uh, and the attempts to discredit her is 
oh, we owe her money. We really don't want to pay her. And she's got a lot of influence and pool with the rest of the nobles. If the other nobles find out uh, that I don't pay my debts, then this is going to be a huge problem. Uh, They're not going to want to loan me money. And there's a possibility that we'll have to deal with a rebellion and the batteries are getting popular. Uh, We can't have that. Uh, In addition, uh, she was a widow in charge of an an exceptionally large estate. Uh, so Bathory uh, would have been succe- would have been susceptible to rumors that she was involved in witchcraft. Um, scapegoating widows and accusing them for being responsible for natural deaths was incredibly common in Central and Eastern Europe during this time. Uh, these this is the region of the world in which the uh, mythology of the vampire comes from, and also one must also remember that, um, you know, we're we're coming out of a culture where unexplained things tend to be explained by, by looking at, straight, at things that seem out of place. People put two and two together in, in a different sort of way. Uh, they say, oh, my gosh, look at this powerful woman who's got all this land. How did this happen? Hmm. Well, everybody around us has been dying, and she's getting wealthier and wealthier. Uh, maybe she's a vampire. Maybe she's feeding off of their life force and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, or, you know, maybe she's a witch. And she's sacrificing people to the Dark Lord uh, for, you know, gifts in the material, you know, material gifts in the in this world uh, in exchange for her immortal soul. Uh, So it was not uncommon for women, uh, particularly noble women uh, who had access to large, large estates and money uh, to be accused of witchcraft or be accused of basically just being evil for having some sort of power and independence. <clears throat> now, it's impossible to know uh, if any of this is true regarding her story, as she's never given a trial, and there are no official records of the case against her. It's known that confessions from uh, Bathory's alleged accomplices were were obtained through torture, and they subs- were subsequently executed. Uh, so uh, Elizabeth, uh, her servants were were tortured uh, to prompt confession, uh, and when they conf- and once they were to- once they began this these gruesome tortures, uh, these people were basically left with no choice but to confess to whatever the hell they were accused of. Uh, and we've seen this we see this later in the in the Salem witch trials. People often just confess to witchcraft just to stop the agony that they were in. Uh, it's you know it's proven it's been proven time and time and again through history. Uh, we see it in the Inquisition. Uh, as well, um, that people will just confess. Uh, they didn't have to be. A lot of times these people that were confessing, you know, we look back and we, we say, oh, my gosh, you know, look at all these people that confessed to being a witch. Why would they do that, knowing that they were going to die? Uh, well, you know, to be honest, we see that when these people are being brutally tortured, the only thing they think of is, I really want this pain to stop. I really don't want to suffer anymore. I'll confess to whatever the hell you want me to confess to, just so we don't have to go through this anymore. Uh, and and obviously, uh, these people were coerced uh, through torture to confess, to turn on Elizabeth. Uh, they did so, and then they were subsequently executed so that they couldn't uh, retract their statements. Now, Elizabeth's supposed list of victims has never been located, nor have any other key documents that could have shed light upon the facts uh, of, of her supposed crimes. Uh, so if there was an attempt to frame her for crimes she didn't commit, the real motivation remains only a matter of speculation. Now, it's impossible to be completely confident in claiming her innocence or her guilt, uh, but unless any further evidence emerges uh, through further research um, to completely free her of the accusations, uh, folk legends and popular media will probably continue to ensure that she's forever remembered as the blood countess uh, and one of the most brutal serial killers of all time. Now, let's dive into some of the things that Elizabeth was accused of, because that is what uh, part of this is, a, you know, what we wanted to talk about, right? Uh, so we've gotten into the facts uh, that, you know, there's claims that she killed anywhere from 80 to 650 women. Uh, they're from lower. She's a, she's of a high class. The, her victims were all supposedly of a lower class. Uh Yet they only produced 13 witnesses, despite the fact that they said they had over 300 witness testimonials. There's only, there was only 13, uh, which is quite the discrepancy. 
Uh, and we know that she had a lot of political opponents. But what kinds of things was she accused of? What sorts of crimes did people think that she committed? Well, what was it that could have prompted people to say, oh, my gosh, we've got to get rid of this person and we don't care how? Well, dive in. Now, according to the supposed t- testimonials of survivors and, and confidants who, of course, as we know, were coerced to confess through very creative means, i.e. by torture. Uh, now, there are cl- these are the claims that are filed against Elizabeth. Uh, one such claims, one, one person claimed that she kept her servants chained up every night so tight that their hands turned blue and they spurted blood. Other, another witness uh, testimonial claims that she beat, beat people to the point where there was so much blood on the walls and beds that they had to use ashes and cinders to soak it up. Another claimed that, a, that she beat a servant in Vienna so loudly that her neighbors, some monks, threw clay pots at the walls in protest. Trey songs, eat your heart out. The neighbors knew her name before they knew yours. That is crazy. Uh, supposedly, anyway. She was also accused of strangling a servant to death with a silk scarf in a harem technique known as the Turkish way, uh, which is which sounds a lot sexier than it probably was. Uh, burned her servants with metal sticks, red-hot keys, and coins, ironed the soles of their feet, and stuck burning iron rods into their vaginas. Uh, so again, uh, these are just some of the things she was accused of, and the list goes on. Uh, some one one individual claimed that she stabbed servants, pricked them in their mouths and fingernails with needles, and cut their hands, lips, and noses with scissors, using needles, knives, candles, and her own teeth to lacerate servants' genitals. Uh, that's a freaky night. <coughs> Excuse me. Others claim that she stitched people's lips and tongues together. That just sounds awful. Uh, made servants sit on stinging nettles and then bathe with said stinging nettles. During the bath, she'd push the nettles into their shoulders and breasts. Uh, she was also accused of having people stand in tubs of ice water up to their necks outside until they died. Just get out of the tub. Uh, she was said to have smeared a young girl, a young naked girl, with honey and leave her, left her outside to be bitten by ants, wasps, bees, and flies. Kept them from eating for a week at a time, and if they got thirsty, made them drink their own urine. Pretty savage. Uh, forced them to cook and eat their own flesh, usually from their own buttocks, and or make sausages and serve it to guests. Uh, I don't care what you do. I'm not serving my ass to anyone on a plate. Um She was said to have heated up a cake to red-hot temperatures and make a, made a servant eat it. Cakes on the menu. Baked a magical poisonous cake in order to kill a rival magistrate, George Torzo, uh, who was the guy who, again, we've been through this. Uh, he's the one who had her arrest. Who, he is the one who uh, arrested her in the first place. Uh, she was accused of casting magic spells to summon a cloud filled with 90 cats to torment her enemies. Uh, if somebody can summon a cloud of 90 cats, specifically cats, and 90 of them to torment their enemies, that is a lot of freaking cats. I don't know who, uh, I don't know who came up with that, but that is just, that's actually not even terrifying. That's actually kind of awesome. Wish somebody would accuse me of some stuff like that. It's actually kind of cool. Um, she also was said to have had an ongoing affair with a guy named Ironhead Steven. Uh, stuffed five servants' corpses underneath a bed and continued to feed them as if they were still alive, uh, buried them in gardens, uh, grain pits, orchards, and occasionally cemeteries, sometimes with rights and sometimes without, you know, just whatever, just a typical day. Um, after she died, uh, we see even more accusations leveled against her because she can't catch a break. While she's alive, she has all these accusations leveled against her. And then that's not even enough. Once she dies, we see that she's accused of bathing in virgin's blood, which, of course, is a nonsensical myth that's been dreamed up. Uh, I mentioned in the 1729 uh, writing the Historia Tragica, um, she was said to have been syphilitic from centuries of inbreeding. Uh, She was said to be epileptic. Uh, 
accused um, of a lot of things, but here we go. She was raped when she was young, uh, supposedly. Her powerful position in the world, uh, however, complicates this. It's very unlikely. Uh, her Aunt Clara was bisexual or a lesbian, uh, and the two had an incestuous relationship, so some real Jamie Lannister, Cersei Lannister shit going on. Uh, although this is... Uh, this is all, you know, these are all just rumors made up about her after her death. Uh, she was said to have had numerous rela- uh, numerous affairs, uh, including, and her aunt Clara was also said to have had numerous affairs before having sex with an entire Turkish garrison, before having her throat cut. Uh, she was called insane and menopausal. Her husband Gabor uh, slept around a lot, although that was actually true. Uh, and had an incestuous relationship with his sister, though that was not true. Uh, and she herself was accused of sleeping with a silversmith and being a witch. Uh, so Elizabeth was accused of a great deal of things, uh, and she's been incredibly influential in, as far as the horror, uh, as far as the horror genre goes. Again, I mentioned she is a key, uh, a key cog in many vampire tales, many traditional stories about vampires. So we look at, we need only look at this individual, George Turco, however, to see that things are not what they seem. Now, it's no surprise that she's going to be, that it's, you know, it's no coincidence uh, again, that uh, she's been associated with Dracula, as her family did control Transylvania. Um, and, of course, Dracula is said to have been from Transylvania. And then, of course, we have the stories of Vlad Tepish, uh, who was around a little bit earlier. Um, so also very influential. And then uh, we just have so many... Uh, we, we have so many discrepancies in this investigation that is leveled against Elizabeth. Um, You know, documents, the documents we do have from Elizabeth's trial uh, suggest that most of these supposed witnesses that they have, uh, uh, these people that they have testifying, again, have been tortured, they've been killed, uh, so they can't retract their statements. They're not exactly cross-examining these people. They're not, you know, it's not like she had a court case where people, where she had a lawyer and and there was another, and the prosecutor came and asked questions. They're not inter- they're, This is not the way in which they did interrogations. Uh, they were going to get confessions out of these people one way or the other. Come hell or high water, these people were going to confess to what uh, Turco wanted them to confess to, uh, or they were going to die a very painful death. In which case, they, uh, in many cases, they did already just go ahead and die a very painful death anyway. Um, now again. We look at some of these stories about Elizabeth, and a lot of these stories come after her death. Now, one of the one of these stories uh, that people attribute to Elizabeth is the story of her obsession with her youth. Uh, this is probably the most common legend surrounding Elizabeth Bathory uh, that we have. Uh, and again, this comes out of the Historia Tragica and, and, and some of the folk stories told uh, by locals to that area. Uh, but supposedly after the death of her husband, she had fears of growing old and she began to grow more and more paranoid and afraid of being old. Now, supposedly after striking a servant girl for, girl for combing her hair too hard, <clears throat> Some of the girl's blood fell on her hand, and she thought that the blood had made her skin look younger and became convinced that blood was the secret of eternal youth and was also convinced that blood from virgin girls would be the most effective. So supposedly following this, the maid was murdered uh, so that so that Elizabeth Erzbeth uh, Bathory could bathe in her blood. Uh, from here, her most notorious deeds were said to have began. Uh, she was said to have tortured the girl, tortured girls uh, and they would be tortured for weeks and weeks and on end, uh, sometimes months at a time. <clears throat> they would then be cut in several different ways to provide blood for, ba- for Elizabeth to wash her body in. Um, 
and supposedly she had claimed victims from the peasant class all the way up to the nobility. Now, the investigations that were leveled against her come in the wake of supposedly in the wake of four noble women uh, having been murdered. Now, while some people would say that laws forbade that she be put on trial, we know this isn't true. The fact of the matter is there was never going to be a trial for Elizabeth. Elizabeth's family had loaned a substantial amount of money to the king of Hungary. And the king of Hungary was waging a very expensive war against the Ottoman Empire, and a, a war that her husband would die fighting. Her husband would die fighting for the very kingdom that was going to subsequently betray and rob his wife of her holdings. The land that was meant to be inherited by Elizabeth would be snatched from her and her, not only her standing, but her family's reputation. Her reputation and her freedom would all be besmirched and stolen from her. <clears throat> So here we have a young woman who was born into a noble family through no fault of her own, learns the etiquette that is expected of her, learns her responsibilities, marries well into, a, in, into another noble family, uh, into a position of, of, of influence and power, uses her position uh, to be, by, and by all accounts, Prior to this, prior to this, tri- this, this sham of a trial that leads to her imprisonment and eventual death, by all accounts, Elizabeth was, for the most part, prior to all these accusations, pretty reasonable noble. She was fair, but firm. She managed her holdings with dignity. And she treated people with respect. It was only when her husband died and the fears of the king and his ally, George Turco, began to rise at her growing popularity and the growing debt that the royal family had to the Bathory family that we see people begin to formulate political machinations against her. Here we have essentially what would have been the most eligible bachelorette in Central Europe. If we take a look at where Elizabeth was, she's in one of the most influential kingdoms in Central Europe at her, in Europe at this time. She is on the forefront of a war expanding massively, a massive expanding empire, as well as the political rivalries of other European kingdoms, such as Poland and France, and some of the, uh, and and of course the Austrian uh, nobility, who at this time is beginning to gain in prominence as well. Here we have a woman who has been, who has fallen into good fortune, who has a substantial amount of land, a substantial amount of wealth. She's found herself basically on top of the pile. She has everything she could ever need. And her husband, who had by all accounts been pretty good to her when, they'd been, when he'd been alive, on his deathbed makes a critical mistake. He trusts a man with more ambition than he had. He trusts an individual who has risen to power by saying the right things, being in the right place at the right time. And now has ingratiated himself with the, with the count before he goes off to battle, comes back to die this is a man who manipulated his way to the very top, the, the upper echelons of Hungarian society. 
This is a man who rose from minor nobility to being the right hand of the king himself. And a man who saw an opportunity to get him out of land and establish his own power and influence in the kingdom to perhaps make a play later on down the road for himself. Elizabeth found herself in a precarious position, to say the least. A young woman, now now widowed, she would have been expected, especially as being part of the noble, being part of the nobility, she would have been expected to find a noble husband. Uh, she would have ex- been expected to maintain her hold and seek. Now we don't know whether or not uh, George Turco made an effort to be her next husband. We don't know whether or not uh, Turco you know, tried to woo her and failed, or if he just saw this as an opportunity to undercut her and take away from her everything that she had gained uh, as far as far as uh, her marriage went, as far as the political machinations of her own uh, family. It's clear uh, that the, that the Bathory family uh, was incredibly intelligent as far as their matchmaking went. Far as as far as they as far as things go with with advancing politically, I don't think they could have done any better than what they did, short of mar- marrying into the royal family themselves. Uh, clearly, the clearly the major threat uh, seen by the king of Hungary was that this family was he was not only indebted to them, but they had a great deal of influence with the other nobility. They were a rising power, uh, you know, with the with the alliance between them uh, and Nadazdi, uh, they were basically a powerhouse in this kingdom. Uh, and here, you know, Nadazdi, uh, Ferenc, uh, Nadazdi had, gained a, great, had gained, a, gained a great deal of popularity for his role in fighting back against the Ottomans. His resistance against the Ottoman Empire uh, made him incredibly popular amongst the nobility, made him incredibly popular amongst the common folk who would have seen him as uh, would have seen him in two ways. They would have seen him as a as a man who fought for his country, uh, for his kingdom, and they would have seen him as a man who was a warrior for Christendom, which would have been incredibly, incredibly important at this time, uh, especially when you take into account the fact uh, that we're coming off that we've already had at this point. We've already had uh, the Crusades uh, again and again. We've already had religious wars throughout Europe, and now we have the encroaching. Uh, power, the encroaching spread of the Ottoman Empire, a a Muslim empire arriving into Central Europe, which is incredibly Christian. Uh, and, you know, uh, very, and, and for, and in many cases, uh, you know, throughout the countryside, of course, you know, some, some pagan, uh, you know, rituals and rites are still practiced, but for the most part, you're looking at people that consider themselves to be Christians, consider themselves to be associated with the church. And there was no greater honor than defending the church from its enemies. And the Ottoman Empire was seen as an enemy to the church. They were an enemy to their influence, their power, uh, and their, their message of Christianity. This alternative religion coming on the back of a, of a rising power, and, and again, at this time, the Ottoman Empire was the most substantial empire that people had ever seen. It stretched a massive amount of territory. And Hungary was on the front lines of preventing their push into Central Europe, along with Austria. These two kingdoms, and you, and you can throw Poland in there as well, these kingdoms were on the front lines of preventing the Ottomans from getting into Europe preventing them from getting into the interior of Europe and taking over the continent. Uh, They were seen as the last line of defense uh, for Christendom against what was perceived to be a threat uh, to their entire way of life. And so because of this, Elizabeth's husband would have been incredibly popular because he would have been seen as a hero, a patriot, uh, and he would have been seen 
uh, in a tremendously positive light. Whereas the king, it's unclear as to whether or not he's actually even a part of these wars, whether or not he's actually even participating. He's, he's got a history of serving uh, as, as far as that. He's got a history of waging wars. Uh, but, or his family, I should say, has a history of waging wars, uh, but he himself doesn't, uh, doesn't really have a, a vested role in preventing the spread of this, uh, of this perceived threat. Uh, so important to remember that Despite the fact that he is the king <clears throat> of Hungary, he and of course I should I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact uh, that Matthias uh, the second uh, is also known as the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Holy Roman Emperor I should say. Um, and at this time, he himself hailed from you know the the. Very prominent Habsburg family who is around for a great for a great while, um, and he is doing his best to consolidate and hold on to his own power. And the last thing that he wants is a political rival, uh, particularly one who's going to grow in, in incredibly popular. Now, at this time, uh, it's important to remember as well. Uh, that he's he's not he's not a saint by any means. He uh, forces um, he forces people out of power to take his position, uh, and he himself uh, spends the majority of his time attempting to put down rebellions. And these rebellions tend to come from his very upset nobles who are not happy with the fact that he not only has been borrowing a lot of money from them, but he's leveling taxes on them. Uh, and these taxes are in their minds unfair. So Matthias himself is kind of just sitting back, uh, getting fat, not really worried. Uh, he's the fat cat on the block and he knows it. And he's not really worried about uh, fighting off, uh, you know, this invasion He's got he's got guys who can do that for him, uh, and you know his noblemen are supposed to do that. And in his mind, uh, what's more important to him is making sure he's got a significant, steady income coming in, and also making sure he looks good with the with the nobles that are around him. Uh, in particular, he is trying to impress. Uh, these other uh, noble families nearby, uh, is, you know, he's got relatives. Bergs are nobility in multiple places. Uh, they've got their roots in Spain and Austria. So he's trying to uh, continue to raise himself up, at least in this context, amongst the other nobles in Europe. Uh, he's aligning himself with people in uh, Austria and Moravia and, and trying to eliminate his own political opponents. Uh, in one uh, in one instance, he actually has his own brother uh, Rudolph imprisoned uh, so that he can seize full control of the kingdom. Uh, there was questions of secession. He took control uh, and forced his brother to not only give up the crown, but he also uh, imprisoned him uh, until he eventually. Um, was unable to resist anymore, and then he, he let him out. Now, after this period, after he's substant, after he has sort of consolidated his power, he's had to borrow a lot of money, uh, in in part because he's had to put down multiple revolts. And these revolts uh, come on the fa- come on the cusp and on the heels of the fact that he himself is a rather suppressive ruler. And this is not a surprise, as many monarchs of this time were pretty uh, suppressive. They didn't really give their people what we would, con- what we would consider to be rights. Uh, most of the people were you know, kind of thought to be beneath uh, the monarchy, uh, and they would have been thought of as no more than you know, servants and peons and, and the like. So 
he's an incredibly unpopular individual. And he sees uh, Elizabeth Bathory's fam and her family as a direct threat to himself and his popularity because they are doing and they are not only loaning him money so that he can fight off these these subsequent Protestant rebellions and these other rebellions that he's having to deal with from nobles uh, who don't want to pay their taxes. Petsky nobles and their taxes. Who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? Not paying taxes. Now, the fact that they don't want to pay uh, their their taxes uh, is relatable for us. Nobody wants to pay taxes, right? Uh, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, but this all factors in in my in my view, this all factors in to why Elizabeth is targeted uh, following her husband's death. When her husband is alive, he's incredibly popular, and the king needs him. He needs skilled warriors who can fight off threats to his power, and the Ottomans would have been a threat to his power. They would have been a threat to his power. And the reason why they would have been a threat to his power, if you know anything about the Ottoman Empire, you would know – that the Ottomans tended to not keep people that were in power of kingdoms that they took over in power. They tended to get rid of them. Uh, and, and, and in many cases, they would put their own individuals in charge. Uh, and oftentimes, in most cases, they were actually a lot more uh, reasonable, With particularly in the Balkan states. Uh, people would actually try to overthrow their king when the Ottomans were coming. Uh, it was this real cool game where, oh, we hear the Ottomans are coming, and things are great under the Ottomans. Everybody, you know, can kind of, like, advance in society. It's really cool. Like, you can actually make something of yourself, and you actually have some kind of fluidity as far as uh, social and economic and political status goes. Uh, whereas, you know, in in these European kingdoms, uh, you know, you're kind of just screwed. If you're not born into a noble family, uh, you're basically not going to rise. Uh, it's very – it's very unlikely you're ever going to rise above your station. So uh, the fluidity, the social fluidity that exists within the Ottoman Empire was appealing to many people because they saw this as, oh, my gosh, I could get an education. My kids could have a better life. I'm going to well, screw this. We're going to overthrow the king. What's he ever done for us? King's never done anything for us. Uh, this is a great fear for Matthias, uh, who sees, who is, who is not oblivious to the fact that the Ottomans are coming, and he's not oblivious to the fact uh, that other kingdoms are having problems, and this is one of the reasons why he himself is having to deal with revolts, because people are saying, yeah, the Ottomans are coming, and they're going to let us do what we want to do. They're going to give us more freedom, so screw this guy. Let's overthrow him. Let's, you know, maybe even kill him. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's definitely going to be people that are like, yeah, we really don't like the king. Let's kill him, and the last thing you want, if you're Matthias, is this popular family who you owe money to to get up one day and say, hmm, you know who really sucks? The king, because he owes me a lot of money, and he hasn't been paying me, and the Ottomans are on our doorstep, and what if we just joined them and overthrew this government? Maybe they will make us in charge, and then we can just not have to worry about this guy owing us money anymore because we'll just have all the money, and we'll have all the, we'll have all the marbles. We'll be in charge. It'll be great. So Matthias's great fear is going to be, uh, and this fear, I believe, is pretty well fed uh, by George Turco, who is definitely not letting this escape his notice that, hey, uh, your highness, you know, the Bathory family, you owe them a lot of money, the Ottomans are on the doorstep, and, you know, you're never going to have a better opportunity to get rid of, you know, their most powerful and influential member, Elizabeth. Uh, than you are right now because her husband's dead and there's nobody to protect her. She's got very few men at arms at this point because her husband, of course, has been taking them off to battle, so she likely doesn't have very many men at arms to protect her from being arrested, to protect her from being uh, potentially taken hostage, prisoner, or even killed. Uh, so she's in a very vulnerable position, something that George Turco uh, definitely noticed. And, of course, She's, even in, she's in an even more precarious position because he was supposed to be her safe guardian. He's supposed to be her protector, and he betrays her. He was supposed to be uh, the guy that was going to come in and make sure that people didn't take advantage of her, and instead he does exactly that. He takes advantage of her. He eliminates her uh, as a threat to Matthias. He fuels his paranoia uh, and gets rid of her as a political opponent altogether. 
uh, by get, having her in prison. And even worse than that, he doesn't even give her the dignity of being able to defend herself publicly. Um, you know, in most cases that you have, you know, we, we tend to think about the Middle Ages as, you know, sort of backward and, and uh, you know, primitive. But these people had trials. I mean, they had trials. And we, we've got numerous examples of people who had trials uh, where they were allowed to speak their piece. They, you know, the rule of law was important. It was respected. They brought in clergymen. They brought in scribes. Uh, there were nobles present. You were allowed to produce your own witnesses. The, where we get our courts from, we get our courts from the Middle Ages. You know, we tend to think about them as very backward. They are the ones that sort of paved the way as far as, you know, a justice system goes, what we have now. It evolved from them. There is a reason that we call uh, the, the place where nobles sit the court, the noble court, because court was held in the halls of nobles. Uh, so it is not, you know, it's not that Elizabeth couldn't have had a trial. She could have had a trial. She deserved a trial and w- should have gotten one, uh, even if she was a terrible, even if she did do this, even if she did kill 650 people. She should have been allowed to defend herself and produce her own witnesses. But clearly, this is what really throws a lot of shade onto this story uh, for her. This is what makes stories so interesting, is that she's not given this chance. What we get is some accusations, some, some farcical tales, some inconclusive facts uh, that in any other part of Europe, even at this time, at any other part of Europe, people would have been like, what the hell? What kind of nonsense is this? But because the king, you know, any king in their right mind would have never let this happen at this time. I mean, not unless there was some political gain involved. And in this case, there is political gain involved. And this is why we see uh, this happen to Elizabeth. This is why she doesn't get a trial. It's not because, as George Thurko uh, would have said, oh, we don't want to make the nobles look bad. They could have given two shits less whether or not the nobility look bad. Who are they going to look bad for? The other nobles who are doing crooked shit? That's like saying, we don't, want the, we don't want the senators to look bad. They all look bad, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, politicians, they don't look good. They don't, they don't look good. Oftentimes, they're all sort of doing, uh, unsa- you know, they're always associated with unsavory practices, uh, which is one of the major problems I have with the political uh, climbs right now. But that's a whole other conversation. But in staying with this, what we're talking about right now and the situation with Elizabeth Bathory, you know, we have this excuse, oh, we should just sweep this under the rug, 650 people. How the hell are you going to keep that, sweep that under the rug? Like, there are going to be, I, you know, unless all these people are from the same family that she's killed, there's ideally 650 families who are going to say, uh, what happened to my family member? Um, where's my justice? Like, when am I going to get justice for, you know, the fact that this person killed one of my relatives? Uh, And justice was very important to people in this time period. Uh, It's important to us now. It's very important to us now, but it was very important at this time. Uh, I mean, perceived slights, uh, killing someone's family member, uh, particularly a noble person's family member, and keep in mind, she was accused of killing at least four noble women. This is something she would have never, been able to get away with without without violence and if you want to think trial i'm not talking about a trial she would have been a she would have been challenged to a duel uh or she would have been assassinated if she had killed noble women there's a good chance she probably wouldn't have you know survived to be imprisoned and have you know any kind of trial somebody would have just rolled up into her keep and murdered her um they would have drug her out into the street and cut her head off or something um and, you know, that sounds kind of savage and sort of primitive. But really, I mean, if you think about it, these are these nobles, these people, uh, a lot of these nobles, particularly noble men, are trained to be soldiers. They're trained to be fighters. And when you think about the fact that these guys are given martial training, are you going to really – do you really think that you got, uh, you know, a bunch of young guys who were trained uh, in martial arts from the time that they're six, seven years old? and told that the way that you advance in life is to kill people uh, who have what you want, just take what they have, uh, and here's some rules we have for you, 
uh, and the rules are kind of gray areas at times even, uh, so the rules aren't even really clearly defined for them. You really think that they're going to let it slide, that they're going to let somebody get away with killing one of their blood relatives? No, they're not going to let that happen. They're definitely not going to let this woman sit in a castle and then proceed to murder uh, 600 more people after they've killed one of their relatives. Uh, they're going to be battering down the gates, especially since she's at this time a widow. They're going to batter down the gates, uh, break into her house, and they're probably going to take her out and kill her. Um, it's simple. You know, it sounds bad. It is bad. But that's the way it would have been done. Why there is so much uh, to be suspicious of in accounts that we have of Elizabeth Bathory. There's just so many inconsistencies. So much doesn't line up with what we know about this time. There would have been a trial. They didn't care about uh, you know, the reputation of all the nobles. If she would have been guilty of these crimes, the only person she would have shamed is herself. And by extension, she would have shamed her family. Now, if the king was so worried, uh, if the king and Turco was so worried uh, about shaming the Bathories uh, that, they were, that they'd call in their debts, why wouldn't they be worried about them calling in their debts after they imprisoned their daughter? Uh, why are they not going to be worried about one of the most influential and now probably the most powerful person in the family as far as property goes being imprisoned? Why wouldn't they be worried then? that they were going to call in the debts. Oh, you want to play that game? You want to kidnap one of the most influential members of our family and imprison them under false pretenses and not even give them a chance to, you know, defend themselves. Even if they did it, you know, they still deserve the right to have their say. They still would have been given that chance. She's a woman of noble birth. She would have been given every opportunity to defend herself in normal circumstances. So if the King and Turco were so, so worried that they were going to call in their debt, why wouldn't they? Why would they think that that's the way to go about it? It doesn't make sense. the The reason, the only reason that the king and George Turco would have done what they did is to further discredit her and to keep it as quiet as possible while they did it. They wanted to keep the whole thing quiet. They wanted to hush it up. They didn't want people investigating what happened. They didn't want people digging around and finding out if Elizabeth was really guilty or not. Even if she killed one person or 50 people or 150 people or 600 people, as they claim, you know, no matter how many, even if she had killed all these people, they didn't want, they, they, they weren't going to give her a chance to defend herself, which leads us to believe if she had really killed 650 people, there's no possible way she would have been able to defend this. There would have been substantial amounts of evidence that suggested she killed, she would have, that she killed nearly a thousand people. Even if she would have ate their bodies or something, there would have been bones. There would have been all kinds of shit. We know that, especially at this time where it's not like, you know, she could have gone moonlighting and buried all these bodies in a mass grave somewhere. That's not happening. You know, that would be like, that that would just not happen, okay? That would be like if Tom Brady shot somebody in broad daylight and then tried to bury their body in the middle of Main Street. Everybody knows who she is. She wouldn't have been able to get away with that. She wouldn't have been able to kill even one person without somebody running off immediately and being like, uh, Elizabeth just killed a guy. There's no way. She was that She was that influential. She was that big of a deal. There's no way she would have been able to get rid of this many people without being caught way earlier and without being brought up on charges way earlier than this, which this leads us to speculate that the story and the, uh, the story of her being a murderer and the story surrounding her uh, legendary killing spree, probably most likely a lie. Because of what we know about this time, we know that nobles that were accused of crimes would have been given a trial, no matter what the crime. We saw people do, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, nobles rape other nobles. We've got loads and loads of evidence. Historical evidence points to the fact that people at this time, particularly nobles, believed in trials. They believed in trials. They believed in bringing people up and making them face the music. 
They didn't care if they publicly humiliated you. That was part of the whole process. That was part of the point of bringing you before a trial, was to publicly shame you, was to publicly humiliate you. So the claims of Turco that we don't want the nobility to look bad, they don't make any sense. We see trials in France amongst the nobility. We see trials in in England amongst the nobility. We see trials in almost every part of Europe amongst the nobility for heinous crimes and even silly crimes, embarrassing things that you wouldn't want anybody to know about. And accusations of incestuous relationships, all these things would have been brought to trials. No matter how embarrassing they were, these would have been brought to trials before other nobles. They would have been brought to the noble court, to the king himself. They would have been forced to listen to her side of the story. There would have been members of the church there who listened to the side of the story and would have wrote it down. So it's clear that there's no concern. So it's clear that there's no reason unless you're trying to hide what this person, you're trying to hide something. Now, granted, is it possible that Elizabeth did kill a bunch of people? And they wanted to keep it quiet because they didn't want to cause an uproar. It's definitely possible, but it's not probable. It's not likely. Nobles killed people all the time in the Middle Ages. I mean, peasants really didn't have a whole lot to protect them. They were at the mercy of their lords. They had to hope that the nobles would be kind to them. And we know from examples of guys like Vlad Tepish, that was not always the case. Sometimes nobles were real asshats, and they killed people indiscriminately because they felt like it. But because of that, because of guys like Vlad Tepish, we know that those people aren't able to hide their actions. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. If Elizabeth had killed all these people, she would have had to go face the music. There would have been an army at her doorstep demanding justice. She would have been brought before the king and forced to defend herself, forced to face the music, forced to face the evidence. So there's only two real options. There's only two real options for us in this scenario. Either Elizabeth Bathory never killed any of these people, and she's the victim of political machinations of a very ambitious man who was entrusted with her safekeeping, was entrusted with making sure that nobody took advantage of her and betrayed her trust for his own personal gain. Either George Turco betrayed her for his own personal gain and lied about everything and had these stories fabricated and tortured her servants so that they would confess to these heinous crimes and so that he could discredit her as a noble and seize her property. Or Elizabeth was a freaking ninja, and she was able to sneak out in the middle of the night and actively abduct these people with the help of only a handful of servants, overpower them, and over the course of of, of you know, roughly 10, 15 years, murder all these people. Uh, By the way, the assumption that she did murder all these people would lend itself uh, to to the idea that she not only murdered these people, but was able to do so discreetly uh, and was able to people quiet enough about it for a long enough period that it went unnoticed. But what's more likely... The accusations leveled against her go back before her, go back just before her husband leaves, right? Uh, You know, she supposedly killed all these people. Supposedly she killed all these people over over a 10-year period. Part of that period, her husband was around. So how did she keep it a secret? Was her husband in on it? If he was such a warrior for Christendom, he would never have allowed 
this to occur on his watch. And we know that it's from a period of time in which her husband is still alive, still around, until the point where he's already gone and she's finally tried, or finally accused of doing these things. I shouldn't say tried because she was never really officially tried. She was accused. Too many inconsistencies. So what ultimately can we conclude from this? What we can conclude is that Elizabeth Bathory was at the very least, at the very least, a victim of circumstance. She was a pawn in a game being played by nobles and the king. Really just in the wrong place at the wrong time associated with the wrong family and she fell on misfortune when her husband died. Her only protector left too soon and left her in the care of a man who would ultimately betray her. But at the most we can assume that she may have very well been one of the most prolific murderers of all time. Now ultimately we'll probably never know. There's not enough evidence to suggest either way that Elizabeth was this, was this prolific killer. The only evidence we really have that suggests that Elizabeth was this murderer was the confessions of people being tortured. Coerced confessions given by men and women who were tortured until they confessed. And then we have stories that appear centuries after her death that are told around hushed campfires as spooky tales to keep the kids in bed at night. Ultimately, the sands of time have covered up one of the great mysteries in history, and we'll probably never know the true answer to the question of whether or not Elizabeth Bathory was a murderer or a victim of circumstance. But one thing is for for, for certain in this particular instance. One thing we definitely know is that Elizabeth Bathory was a woman who had immense influence and power and ultimately fell from grace, temporarily slipped into obscurity, and eventually achieved a status so legendary few people have ever replicated it. That's all I've got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion of Elizabeth Bathory. Do some digging. I implore you to do some digging. Take a look at the work of of uh, of Laszlo Nagy and some of these other historians out there. There's some truly interesting stuff if you go digging. This has been the Bareback Facts. I'm your host, Dallas Big D Duclo, totally driven entertainment production. I will get with you all next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.